system rise ancestors surround us rise. welcome to advancing the art of aging i'm carol silver elliot president and ceo of the jewish home family a continuum of services for older adults located in northern bergen county new jersey and i am absolutely thrilled today to have as our guest ruth katz Ruth is the Senior Vice President for Policy of Leading Age, and Leading Age, our listeners probably know, but I will remind them, is an association of more than 5,000 organizations serving seniors, mostly nonprofit organizations across the United States. And Ruth, we're so happy to have you here. Carol, I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you. Ruth, you, you have had an interesting career path that led you to your work at Leading Age. Can you just sort of talk about your experiences that brought you to this public policy role? Sure, sure. So I came to Leading Age about three and a half years ago. After a long government career, I worked for the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Planning and Evaluation in the Department of Health and Human Services, which is a lot of words. My title, Carol, had 26 words in it. <laughs> I wouldn't I, be I able to, to remember it, Ruth. It. See, and you're worried about remembering it. I could remember it fine, but I couldn't say it on one breath. So I'd, <laughs> I'd say half my title, and then I'd have to go, oh, take another breath. Anyway, it's typical government. But what I actually did was I ran an office within the office of the secretary. We were kind of the, the sec, we had the secretary's back. So whoever the secretary was, Republican, Democrat, didn't matter. I was a career civil servant. And my office was disability aging and long-term care policy, and we did policy analysis analysis and policy research to inform that policy analysis. So, for example, if CMS put out an, a new regulation, we, we were not the CMS analyst who kind of owned it and wrote it and were trying to sell it to, to the secretary, to the White House. We were the analyst who said, aha, well, there's also this HRSA reg and this CDC reg, and how do they fit together? So we did some cool things. We also got to do some creative uh, demonstration work, like the original consumer direction, cash and counseling work. We did the um, first and only surveys of the direct care workforce in nursing homes. So fun stuff like that. And so coming to leading age, I want to say after close to 30 years in HHS, was so real. It was so great to get to get with with you and all the other carols of the, of the country that are members of leading age who who are on the ground actually doing the work you know it's so i wish every government person who works in any area at all that has to do with with something that's going on on the ground could get out on the ground the way that i have been able to do with leading age i think government would be probably a lot um more connected. I totally agree with you. And when did you join Leading Age, Ruth? In January of 2018. Okay. And, you know, last year, as we all well know, was a very unusual and I hope one once in a lifetime year as we dealt with COVID. But you really took on a, a different role as the COVID experience unfolded. And can you talk about sort of how that came about and what that's been like, because it's still an ongoing role. 
Yeah, and I think I'll go back to my my federal experience to say one thing, and um, I think this is going to resonate with you too, Carol. Like, I I prefer a work environment where there's a lot of stuff going on. So um, I got to work on the ACA when when Obamacare was first enacted to help get that implemented, and particularly to work on the Class Act. But then even when the Class Act went down, to work on um, on on getting the exchanges set up and getting getting the whole thing out there and working, figuring out what was going on with Medicaid. Got to work all the way back on Clinton health reform. It's really fun when they're when the stuff is just coming at you mm-hmm. so fast and 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 you're just are gonna you know that what you do is gonna do good for mm-hmm. people. Well, long term care policy doesn't always work like that. So it's um Long-term care is, is often the kind of second fiddle. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. you come into the health policy room and you feel like, like Alice in Wonderland, like you just drank something that made you half the size of everybody else because they're like, long-term care, we're, we're talking about important stuff. We're talking about hospitals and doctors here, you know, and you're talking long-term care. And here, all of a sudden, you know, with COVID, whoa, come sit at our table. We need to talk to you. So it was, the the need was there and and it worked so well um it for for the way that I like to work and for the way that leading age kind of gives you the space to work you know we're up we're up at our at at our root we are a member service a membership service organization and our members are mission driven they are committed to what they do and and for us to be able to to take that commitment and own, help own that commitment too, and say, you know, we I have a chance to save lives. How often does a policy person in Washington D.C. have a chance to to see with their own eyes that they can they have a possibility of saving lives here? So we were able to kind of figure out quickly what members needed and just kind of in a Mother Teresa kind of way, you know, oh, there's a person lying in front of me as I'm walking down the street who needs help. Okay, I'm going to pick them up. And um, a lot less of the kind of, oh, let's be strategic, let's step back and take our time and we need to plan this out. Like all of that kind of fell away and a lot of unimportant things fell away. So another thing that, that fell away that I'm really glad did was our ability to collaborate um, for example, with the the bigger the other nursing home association, with with the American Healthcare Association, and the walls just fell down. Mm-hmm. The a lot of a lot of the posturing just fell away. So we were able very quickly to get up and running um, conversations with people at high levels of the government, conversations with people on the Hill who all of a sudden were were using words like long term care and home and community based services and CNAs and direct care workers and and nursing home, you know, same words that we are not used to hearing from right. people on the Hill. Um, we just had incredible access to the government and we were able to take what we got in those meetings. We could see that our members just needed right away. They needed the information. The first thing they needed was, you know, I need access to tests. I'm not, you know, I have people here who are really sick. I can't get tests. So we could figure out who do I call an HHS? How do I make this happen? And we could very quickly connect with people. And um, one of our members actually, uh, 
uh, Tina Sandry from Forest Hills down here in DC. She said something. She said, if you have something to communicate, find eight ways to say it, eight ways to communicate it. Mm. And, and we did a lot of that. So we worked with our state partners. We worked with our board. We worked with all of our committees. We worked directly with members. And I would say, Carol, honestly, my team <laughs> was rose to the occasion. Like it, it was just incredible to, to see how people just stepped up to do the work because I think we all saw, wow, this is not just you know, policy work on eight and a half by 11 paper. This is three-dimensional right. human beings and urgent. that we're touching here. And urgent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, from watching from the outside, certainly your team has been unbelievable in terms of all of the connectivity and all of the access and all of the information. And one of the things that for me, it's a, it's a, maybe the tip of the iceberg, it's a piece of it, but the most visible was the webinar series that you started in March. And for the be- at the beginning, we were all glued to it seven days a week, right? Seven days a week. Mm-hmm. How did you end up, mm-hmm. how did you latch onto that format and kind of talk me through, it's evolved, you know, I, I've, been, mm-hmm. I've been engaged with it since for over a year now. It's definitely evolved, but tell me sort of how that came about and how you think it's been effective. So one of the, actually the very last day that we were in the office before we, before we were sent home in the beginning of March, we had a state exec, Lisa Henderson from Maine, New Hampshire, a a leading age state partner who said, could you, my, my members are kind of going crazy with this COVID thing. And we thought, oh, yeah, that is sort of, this COVID thing is going to certain to get to people, huh? Like, we had no idea, you None know, in the beginning knew. of March, right? None of us knew. But she said, you know, could you guys, could could we get on a call so you, they could hear from you what you're doing and they could kind of talk you through what's going on with them? And we said, sure. So a bunch of us got, we actually got together in a room <laughs> and, and we sat down at a table and I think we actually had lunch together. Before <laughs> Remember we those the days, call. right? Right. And I, I could be making this up. This could be a <laughs> fantasy. And, and, and we, and we did this call and then, you know, 10 minutes goes by and we get another state exec asking the same question. And we realized, wait a minute. I think there's a thing here. You know, yeah. we all looked at each other and said, why don't we just do this for everybody? Wow. And and we did it probably the next day. We organized it. We went through a couple of, you know, for about a week, like trying to figure out our format. And then every day, bam, 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 bam. Something was happening every damn day. Many things were happening. There were policy, like, when does this ever happen, right? right. But we knew that. The connection, you know, between policy and operation, right? It's so, you know, there's a whole lot more to operations than just whatever policy comes out of the government, of course. But you want to know, you know, what did they say? What are they going to do? How are they going to help us with this? When is this going to happen? Is this is this rule final or is it, you know, and and can I do this but not this? And so, so it was kind of a, a an informational thing like that. 
in addition to the information, Carol, I have to say, because we were doing it seven days a week for the first couple months, yeah. in addition to the information, there was this, there were, there were two other things that we felt were really critical. It was a like a, a three-part, three-legged stool thing. Um, so the information was definitely a big piece of it, and we know a lot of people connected for that. There was also this sense of, at least for this hour, we're together. Mm-hmm. We are mm-hmm. We are all in this together. And other members are here and other people. I'm not going crazy. Everybody else is going through the same thing that I'm going through. I'm not the only one out here by myself. And then the other really important piece of it, honestly, was I think we all felt the need to just reach out and we, we didn't have a way to hug people, but it was a way to say, we can't solve this, but but we can help. As leading age, we can give you a big hug. We can we can let give you that emotional support and let you know that that we're here for you. And those were the three parts in the beginning. I have to and say, Ruth, I I felt all of those elements, and I have said this many times. There were days when I was like scribbling down notes when someone would say something, a guest or one of your team would say something, and it would be a big moment of enlightenment. Oh, I didn't know that. And then there were moments when it was just, oh, we're not the only people dealing with this. You know, you yeah. when you're in the midst of what was an almost unbearable crisis, to think that yeah. you're not alone is so reassuring. And you know, I know for we, there are a lot of my team members doing this, doing every single day early on because number one, we didn't want to miss anything, and number two, it was that one grounding element that we could count on every day. It's like okay, we're going to learn something, we're going to find something out, but there, it's still there. And at a point in time where we felt abandoned by the world, you know, no information, no guidance, yeah. no nothing, just. Just more directives making us change policy, you know, every 15 minutes. This mm-hmm. was this was our rock. This was our rock. And I, I, I know you and your team have done a gazillion other things. But I have to tell you, this one element has been such an incredibly powerful symptom, symbol, I should say, and place to connect for all of our membership. And I've heard it. I've been on a lot, a lot of state meetings. I've heard it from every state meeting that people felt like this was their ballast when they didn't have a ballast. Wow. Yeah, people have said that to us, but you just said it so beautifully and so articulately. So thank you so much. We we work really hard on it. And it's a, it's absolutely a partnership. You know, the people the members that, that joined us, that continue to join us on these calls. The experts to me are very interesting. Um, the academics that we have every now and then are very interesting. The folks we have from the government are very interesting. But boy, when, when providers get on there, they sometimes it's just, I, I just, I, I use this metaphor a lot, but it's just like, you know, unzip my vest and just get right to my heart, you know, mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. just come straight into my heart because some of the things that we heard, oh, especially in those early days about um, inability to get testing, mm-hmm. um, it, it wasn't as much the frustration as the, the almost the shock of like, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. We can't get, 
We can't get if people are dying before we can test them mm-hmm. for COVID. We, you know, you and parking lot guy, mm-hmm. you know, and and there were so many moments like that at the beginning. I I have to say I was drawn to tears, just pulled to tears so many times in the beginning, and I'm not a crier. Now I think we're, you know there's still horrible things. We're not done. I I like that we're almost done. Your contributions are really nice now too, I want to say, because you, you take a well-rounded look. And I know we had a conversation early on when you started doing the opener for us every other week and on Wednesdays. And it's such a nice contribution because you said when we had this talk, oh, well, I'm an optimist. And you are, and I hear it in the kind of um, coaching that you offer for members, and it's peer coaching that you're offering, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this is your, it's your leadership, but I'm also one of your peers, and, and you've got this, and there's light that we're going to see together, but there's also a realism, you know, it's, I don't know if it's on an optimism, pessimism scale, but it's a, it's a realistic way of looking at things, hopeful, but realistic. Thank you. And I like that. Thank you. So we have a few minutes left, Ruth. I would love for you to just talk about the landscape of policy right now, because obviously it's a a different world, um, both from the standpoint of the transition in administration and post, Mm -hmm. at least post COVID in our, in our vision, we hope what's out there in the policy world that we should be paying attention to. Well, I guess the biggest things right now that I would see going on on the Hill are the infrastructure conversation and the 2022 appropriations conversation. Um, and I'm speaking here kind of across the whole continuum. On, I think on the infrastructure conversation, we are certainly focused on home and I'm putting quotes around air quotes that you can't see around home and community based services. Um, and that is clearly where the White House landed. And oh, my God, for real, aging infrastructure is part of the nation's infrastructure. Say what? Amazing. Like, when, when did anyone ever even think like that? And then I have to say, you know, we met with with some of the lead people trying to figure out how to take what the president put out there, the 400 billion to, to really amp up home and community-based services, how to take that and, and actually write down legislative language and turn it into reality. And, and therein lies one of the biggest policy questions of the moment. You know, how, how are we going to do that? And what is home and community-based services? Um, moving on from that gigantic challenge is also the question of, um, other settings, residential settings, and I worry a lot about about nursing homes. And Carol, you've been conducting with with groups of members um, from around the country these nursing home. What is the nursing home of the future, right. for lack of a better way to describe it? Look like what do we need to change? And I love those conversations because the question you're really asking in those conversations is not just what do we want the administration to do differently? What's what's really eating away at you that you want to share with us? That wasn't how you ran those conversations. It was, how do we need to change? And then how can we proactively lead? We're leading age. We lead. How can we be thought leaders about where we, where we 
where we want to go and how we want to lead ourselves to get there. You know, so we had themes like smaller nursing homes. We had themes like more family-like. We had conversations about the role of post-acute care versus versus long-term care, you know, where people are there as part of their home. So I think that's part of the conversation. Um, in terms of appropriations, things like, um, so this would be not Medicare and Medicaid, but funding for things like more housing. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have three out of every four people that are eligible for senior housing, in other words, they are their income is low enough and they need a place to live and both and all of the other eligibility factors, three out of four of them, we don't have enough housing stock to house them. So they're on waiting lists. There's something wrong with a country that that can't house older people yeah. and older people who we've already made provisions for them to have enough income, presumably through Social Security. So that so appropriations and mainly housing is one of the places where we'll see that we are thinking kind of in a I would say more um, longer term way about maybe even an entitlement to housing for low income people. Yeah. What would that look like? You know, and I think we also really need to think about long term care financing reform in this country. It is really time to it's not time. It's too late. It's late time. It, It is. Exactly. We we should have done this a long time ago, but we are aging rapidly as a country. We need to pay some attention to long-term care since we know that half of half of people who are turning 65, of the 10,000 people turning 65 today, half of them before they die will need paid long-term care services. We cannot ignore this. No, it's scary. It, it, and so, yeah, so those are kind of the biggies. Or a workforce. Oh my God! Workforce. Yeah, don't, let's not forget workforce. <laughs> oh, P.S. That little thing. Yeah, yeah, that thing. No, you know, I have to say, I I am having a uh, a moment on workforce actually right now because I I actually didn't think we we did we do these town halls with members um, around the country. We we do them every year, usually by physically going out to states. Obviously, we're we're doing it by Zoom over the last year. But the question is, what should give us our homework? What do you want us to work on on the Hill? What do you want us to work on with the administration? And the the running joke, not very funny, was well, our top three issues: workforce, workforce, and workforce. So true. Um, but that was then. And this is now. And it, I, I probably can't go through an hour of any day without hearing from a state partner, from a member, from um, a colleague. What are we getting? It's, it was bad before, but now it's, it's really bad. Now, mm-hmm. in light of the pandemic, it's really bad we we post jobs and nobody applies we're all struggling what can we do and yeah and it's just um i I feel like we need i you know so many more tools for people there is no magic bullet there one of my colleagues at leading age many years ago said unfortunately there isn't one solution there's a hundred at least Mm -hmm. and you feel like, oh, so we get apprenticeships, you know, so there's a bill that's under discussion right now on the Hill with apprenticeships. And so we get them to include long-term care and you want to say, well, that's not going to solve the problem. <laughs> you know, we need, we need more than that, but it's, it's many, many solutions. 
But when we talk about expanding services, when we talk about long-term care financing reform, what we're actually talking about, truthfully, is workforce. We have one member who, he says this all the time, he says, workforce, the conversation about workforce is a conversation about immigration. And that's true, too. For sure. Yeah. It's it's really, it's one of those things, you know, if you ask a group of leaders in long-term care, what keeps you up at night? It's an obvious answer Mm -hmm. because you can't find people for jobs. And here in New Jersey, the CNA schools have been closed, continue to be closed. They're going to terminate the emergency authorization for the temporary CNAs. So, okay, rock, hard place, rock, hard place. You know, finding people to be. I think often about creating career ladders for CNAs and making it really an entry point for people to grow in healthcare careers. But if I can't get you certified as a CNA and licensed as a CNA, then my whole, la- you know, there's no first step up my ladder. So it, it is something worrisome. Ruth, I could talk to you all day, and you and I have been known to have very long conversations, <laughs> but I am I am going to let you go with the caveat that I, I hope you will come back and join us again because there's so much more to talk about, and I, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the work that you do and your incredible team, and I'm very grateful for the time you spent with us today. Oh, thank you, Carol. It was a pleasure, as it always is, to talk with you for as long as we're able to talk. So thank you so much. Rise, all of the children rise, elders with wisdom rise, ancestors surround us rise.